everyone, welcome to the happiest pod on earth. I'm Ariel, a licensed therapist who uses clients' passions and fandoms to help them grow and heal from trauma and mental unwellness. And I'm Steph. I'm an educator who uses passions and fandoms to help my students grow and learn about themselves and the world around them. And here at Happiest Pod, we dissect Disney mediums with a critical lens. Why do we do that? Well, because we're more than just fans, we expect more from the mediums that we consume. So what Disney experience or Disney topic are we discussing today, Ariel? We are going to talk about the famous Disney sidekick animals. Sidekick animals. Usually we see them accompanied with princesses, but uh, now we're just seeing them more and more in general uh, with a variety of characters. And we all know we have our favorites, right? Um, if you go off the top of your head, my, the, well, obviously the first one that comes to mind is Flounder, just because he's cute. He was like, you know, the best friend that always got your back, always was just like your number one fan. Um, and, you know, we identify a lot of these sidekicks so readily with whatever princess or whatever main character that they themselves have become main characters in their own right. Much like we love our pets, me and Ariel are big animal lovers and we do have pets of our own we wanted to talk about the relationship between these sidekicks these animal sidekicks and their main character their friend or whoever and categorize them in a way that's a little bit more um suited to the real world with ariel's help absolutely so we're gonna do some definitions first um and uh, for some of you who may not know part of one of the things that i do as a mental health clinician is i can provide assessments to see if someone qualifies for an emotional support animal that qualification needs to meet very specific criteria with the first one being that the individual must have a mental health disability the disability has to match the definition for a federal uh, ADA, um, including that there are functional impairments uh, and it significantly limits at least one or more life functions. So I have to assess for all of those things. The other thing I have to assess is um, if the emotional support animal has what's called a, a nexus, that's the legal term, or a relationship where their relationship with their owner mitigates or lowers uh the symptoms of that disability so it's a lot of assessing it really is something that i feel people have embraced a lot more in you know the past decade or so and knowing through the pandemic through all of these hard times that we've gone through they really do make a difference in um, how we live our everyday lives, how we treat ourselves, how we treat the world. Me as a mother, I know that having a pet around um, teaches my kids responsibility and it also teaches them to care for, you know, animals and the things around them. So let's get into it. We want to identify exactly what categories we're working with, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we all know they're sidekicks, but Steph and I were talking and it seemed like some of them served more functions and purposes than the others. So um, with these definitions, keep these in mind as we're, we're uh, essentially rating and grading. Um, <laughs> the first one is a pet or companion animal. So uh, this is an animal that provides leisurely companionship to its owner. They're kept primarily for a person's company, often an extroverted display, amusement or entertainment. Um, they are usually domesticated or of a domestic breed, and uh, they have close daily relationships with humans. They are not considered an assisted animal. 
So an assisted animal is an umbrella category. An assistant animal is an animal that works, provides assistance, or performs tasks for the benefit of an individual with a disability. So an assistant animal is not a pet. Very big distinction. Yes. Uh, is not there for just leisurely enjoyment. An assistant animal is technically a working animal, um, and the difference would be that some working animals are livestock. So if you think of an animal that uh, is uh, agricultural for labor, it'll produce like um, eggs or milk uh, or wool. Um, uh, an assistant animal is sort of doing like a job, so they could technically be a working animal. Okay. That would include like a sheepdog, right? That like mm. herd sheep and things mm-hmm. like that? Yep. Cool. Yep. Cool. But an assisted animal, specifically its work involves uh, owner or a certain relationship around a disability. So mm. uh, for an emotional support animal, their companionship and support alleviates at least one or more aspects of their handler's disability. So that's that nexus that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Now, they haven't been trained to do this. Um, and the the common examples that I have found for my clients who are uh, ADHDers, um, having an emotional support animal creates a schedule of consistency for them because you cannot ignore the cat crying. Like mm-hmm. the cat will cry and cry and cry. Yeah. And so the system that's being mitigated is lack of structure mm-hmm. um, due to executive dysfunction that happens from being an ADHD. Right? So that, that that would be like an example. Got it. Yeah. Because the thing's got to eat. So you got to put them on a schedule to eat. Mm-hmm. And that helps them with routines mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. just doing things that are over and over again so that they can get used to it and help out with that gap. Got it. And and that consistency helps then mitigate the symptoms of ADHD mm-hmm. that uh, occur and thus creating more holistic lived experience for this individual. Mm-hmm. And remember, I said it, it just it needs to uh, adversely affect one or more life functioning and the nexus of the emotional support animal to that disability needs to help alleviate at least one or more. So if mm-hmm. the alleviation is simply like the ability to have a structured schedule, something that you couldn't do on your own because your brain doesn't allow you to, mm-hmm. then uh, that's it. Like I've I've done my my full assessment. Under assisted animal, there are three types of animals. There's emotional support animal. There's therapy animal. People tend to get emotional support animal and therapy animal wrong. A therapy animal is used as a therapeutic aid by a health or human services professional to support someone else so an emotional support animal helps their handler that the therapy animal uh is told to do work by the handler to others and oftentimes they get permission to go into like hospital settings for example um you'll see a lot of therapy animals in uh, like a, a, a children's unit um uh, helping uh, or or in a senior center giving sort of like emotional aid to others yep when my dad was in um care when he was receiving really intense kidney um treatment there was always a dog that came by at ucla and you know greeted all of the patients and everybody loved him he was like the most beautiful golden retriever and like of course you know my dad loves dogs because i have one too and you know he was just like yeah he really brought light and he brought a lot of happiness into the ward because you know other than that they wouldn't see something like that Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. (laughs) So an emotional support animal can be any animal. A therapy animal, even though it's it's told therapy animal, it's almost always a dog. (laughs) And then service animal, uh, legally, federally, is a dog. Good to know. Um, 
unless some states allow a miniature horse. And those are for individuals with like balance struggles. Um, but yeah, so even though we're saying service animal, it's really a dog. Uh, however, other animals have been trained to provide services. They just might not have as many legal rights. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and we're only talking about the United States, so I don't know like definitions and laws, other places. But a service animal is an animal that has received specialized training to perform a specific task or set of tasks for a person with a disability. Uh, And so some of those common tasks would be opening a door, grabbing medication, alerting individuals of the presence of allergens, so like barking, uh, helping to pull a wheelchair, um, assisting individuals who are blind or have low vision with navigation, um, providing physical support and assistance with balance. However, a service animal could also be a psychiatric service animal and help with uh, situations like sensory relief and overload by like deep pressure application or alerting a handler before they have a panic attack through like licking them or barking um, or encouraging engagement by limiting selective solitude. So like if someone's getting overwhelmed by a crowd, they might circle for crowd control or they might push the individual towards the corner to get a breather or space. So those are animals. And the thing about a service animal that sometimes people aren't aware of is that there are official places where you can get a service animal trained. But technically and legally, a service animal can be trained by their handler. Mm. And so this is where our Disney princesses come in because Uh, From what we know, or I mean, uh, our Disney characters with sidekicks, from what we know, none of these sidekicks have had like an official training from somewhere. No, they're dealing with their own (laughs) stuff in life. And I don't think there was time for them to take a course. (laughs) Remember that because uh, disabilities are unique and individual, um, the way that individuals need assistance, yeah, it would make sense that they might need very specific tailored tasks that aren't part of like the regular regime of like a traditional training experience. And I mean, there is an article that says, you know, why, why do Disney princesses or Disney characters have animal sidekicks in the first place. Mm-hmm. And one of the main reasons is to give that character the emotional support that they need. You see that they're, you know, riding on their shoulder or they're, you know, they're just for them to pet or they're giving them some sort of advice. Like they're norm- they're normally always talking mainly, but um, they can act as their guardians as well, as you're going to see as we go through some of these sidekicks. So you know, in reality, they were doing their job. <laughs> and like we said, emotional support animals don't have to have any task that they're trained. It's just that relationship, mm-hmm. that relationship that mitigates um, a specific disability. Now, this is where where things get a little tricky. Uh, I'm not <laughs> diagnosing any of these characters uh, and saying that they do have a specific disability yes. because it's, it's not canon. But we're going to assume if we did give them a category. What would we categorize them as yeah yeah if they were more than pet we believe (laughs) Mm -hmm. and we challenge you when you rewatch some of these movies to see if what we're saying is true or if you have a differing opinion because you know um i'm sure that when these characters were written they weren't specifically oh this one's gonna be a therapy animal this one's gonna be a support animal it was really the relationship that the main character and this animal had and how they played in moving the story forward so lots of things to think about but i think it was a really cool thing for us to kind of look at these really important characters in a different lens to see how they played their part in moving the relationship forward with their main character so are you guys ready yes awesome so we are gonna start with miko our 
wonderful raccoon in Pocahontas. We see Miko riding in the front of Pocahontas's boat, always there whenever she needed, whenever they were going through the wilderness, whenever she was singing, he was around. Um, and he was really funny. He had a lot of comic relief in yes. the movie, from what I remember. I remember Miko stealing a lot of things. I remember him eating a lot. He was just always eating. <laughs> Did he specifically aid uh, Pocahontas? I remember him grabbing the compass and giving mm-hmm. it to her. Um, so he was aware that that was like something she she wanted and he retrieved it. Um, would you consider that like task-oriented aid? Did she ever tell him what to do? I felt like he was the sassy best friend that was like, ah. are you sure you want to date this guy? Are you sure we want to do this? <laughs> like, he always kind of gave the side eye and was like, as he was eating, like, kind of brushing off John Smith. So, I mean, I don't think that he was necessarily trained to be her guardian, but I think he gave off a lot of best friend vibes to me. So then so then we're going to rule out a service animal yes. and we're going to rule out therapy uh, animal because he wasn't providing like emotional support to others. No. Would you consider him a pet or an emotional support animal? Because the only thing I can think of mm. is he did comfort her when she was sad. He did. He sure did, which is kind of why I kind of more categorized him as like like almost like a human counterpart but he he wasn't talking he didn't say anything he just squeaked he was one of the characters that did not have any speaking roles so so pet i would say a pet i would say a pet with a lot of attitude which okay Okay. in real life we have pets with a lot of attitude all right all right all right i i concur i think um from what i can remember and anyone can of course correct us it seems more like he was a pet that was attuned uh Mm -hmm. to um his uh handler his owner and a very independent pet you know i think of like an outdoor cat (laughs) (laughs) an outdoor cat and also i mean he was mimicking the way she was like falling through the waterfall when she was like swimming he he had a lot of character so i think definitely a pet and because pocahontas was so in tune to nature and the animals around her i think that um drew a lot of similarities between his um, character and his emotions and her emotions just because she already had that established connection with the world around her. Yeah. So culturally, um, she may not identify him as a pet. Could She may mm-hmm. identify him like for kinship bonds. Mm-hmm. Kinship. Yep. Uh, in the, the forms of the, just this exercise. Uh, yeah. We'll <laughs> go with pet. <laughs> we'll go with pet. All right. Great. So we have Miko as a pet. All right. We're going to fast forward a little bit. And we're going to talk about Sven, our reindeer from Frozen. Okay, so uh, in not talking about diagnoses, but just general awarenesses, what we do know is that uh, Kristoff was abandoned um, and raised uh, through an adoptive family. Um, and uh, so therefore, there could be some very specific unique struggles, even as far as like trauma struggles. Um, and he may have difficulty uh, having either sense of belonging, questioning himself. And what we do know from the two movies, he he isn't really certain or secure about his place in the relationship, has a whole song <laughs> about it. <laughs> in the world, really, he's not sure where he fits in. He's just kind of like a snowflake flying in the wind. I won't give him a diagnosis, but I would <laughs> say that uh, he probably has enough for me to further assess for potentially one that could result in additional support. Yes. And we all know that 
um, Savannah's working. He is a working animal because yes. he helps haul the ice up and down the mountain. Um, he helps Kristoff um, make his money. Um, so we know that he has a lot to do with the the way that Kristoff runs his life and makes a living. So I think definitely uh, working animal is one of his titles. Um, and, you know, he he has a lot of moments. He's got a lot of sass. He's kind of like his, you know, bro best friend. His um, <laughs> They definitely have a bromance going on um, because Sven is very animated and he does a lot of physical gestures that suggest that he um, wants Kristoff to do one thing or another. Definitely think because of how Kristoff talks to him, uses <laughs> he actually uses him in social interactions, pretending to like be Sven's voice, right? Like Kristoff yep. like does that mimicky voice. And even in his song in the second movie to Anna, like it's Sven, he's like singing to you. He's like practicing his yeah. proposal. I feel like Sven's leaning more towards emotional support animal that happens to be a working animal that's been trained to do a lot of tasks. Yeah, yeah. Because they do use him even in the spring frozen short. He's helping decorate the whole entire place mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. um, for the birthday party. They're hanging things on his antlers. He's, you know, helping set up like the party. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. he's definitely trained to do a lot of things that help people, not just Kristoff. Okay, okay. So because he's not just helping Kristoff, he's doing general work for humans. Yes. But he provides specific emotional aid to you when Kristoff is maybe second guessing himself, have low self esteem, mm -hmm. questioning himself, unsure, yeah. anxious. Mm -hmm. We're we're going with emotional support animal. Yes. Oh, and he's another one that does not talk. I think that adds another layer to it because that mm -hmm. pretty much is our experience with animals. Um, yeah. We are not like Dr. Doolittle. There's a good chance that um, we are having to develop relational understanding with our animals. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, 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 yes. All right, great. Okay, next one is a fun one because we kind of talked about this particular character and how they held their place in this universe. And that is Hey Hey from Moana, <laughs> our wonderful, clueless, not really all there ever. Um, and I wouldn't even know if he was exactly Moana's sidekick, even though he was on the boat and just always mm -hmm. happened to be there. Mm -hmm. Because when we think of Moana, we think Pua, right? Yeah, Because Pua is her pet. Pua is, yeah. you know, her role dog. Pua is the one that is helping her and rooting for her, like mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. But Hey Hey... He's kind of just there, but he plays an integral part to the story. Yeah, which is surprising. Uh, also voiced by Alan Tudyk, which yes. like is hilarious to think that somebody had to had do a voice, a voice <laughs> acting uh, role to this chick uh, rooster, rooster. And before we we categorize him, he is known as the village idiot. <laughs> He's known as the village idiot. Yes, I I definitely think. Even though he he ate that stone, the stone, the that. rock, <laughs> rocks, rock eating chicken. Um, I think he was a pet, but I I think he was a self domesticated pet. Yes, self domesticated because he is so independent in the wildest ways possible. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> he's chaotic. He's he's cha chaotic neutral, maybe. Mm, yeah, I think chaotic neutral. I don't think he has any intention of harm, no. and I don't think he has any intention of good. Yeah, he just is. <laughs> 
He just is. Yeah. Even I, 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 I'm watching the movie. I'm not even sure like when he coughed up the stone at the appropriate time, it's still hard to tell if that was like sheer luck and fate or <laughs> yeah. if it was like him having an awareness that Moana needed some aid. So I'm going to go with pure, pure pet, mm-hmm. uh, self-domesticated. Um, and, and we have that, right? Like sometimes we have like squirrels in our yards. <laughs> I mean, we also have a lot of pets who are, you know, who have won awards for being chaotic, like the Ugliest Dog Award. And, you know, just these dogs that are just so lovable because you know that they're just trying to live. Just living (laughs) life. They they are the way they are. They look a little funky and that's okay. But, you know, they're still lovable. They still mean good. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And, I mean, for Hei himself, he almost gets killed multiple times. (laughs) Is completely unaware of it. Yeah, unaware that the world is kind of imploding around him. But, you know. And when I, I think of Moana, uh, she does uncover a lot of her her history that she wasn't aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, something similar to like many diaspora, um, yeah. or when people are leaving their homelands. Um, however, her current motivation had to do with present stress, which uh, was based off of like essentially climate anxiety. If, if mm-hmm. you think about it, yeah. So she could technically be diagnosed with that, but mm-hmm. um, the thing when it comes to like climate, well, it would be anxiety, but we put for the climate. But mm-hmm. the, when it comes to climate anxiety and those who are indigenous, it's not really considered a disorder. It's considered a, an appropriate response to seeing their homelands like mm-hmm. completely demolished, and often comes with like grief and loss, yeah. fear for their future. Uh, so, I think I think pet, and I I don't think that she has anything that would denote to me that there would be a disability. Yeah. Because it's a common affect, it's a common struggle that a lot of people in the diaspora go through, especially with her people who have moved from place to place. Mm -hmm. And now in that move, in that, you know, reality of her village, her trying to find her place is something that she's just naturally going through. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily an anomaly to Mm -hmm. anybody who's living there. And the the land going through like struggles Mm -hmm. with um, fishing and and Mm -hmm. coconut, like essentially like... Uh, I mean, we we know it's the goddess, but it's like a blight, you know. Yes. Like there's there's uh, actual um, struggle going on with the the climate and the nature. Um, again, appropriate responses, mm-hmm. uh, and so I would not cons not that uh, I would not consider it a mental health disorder as a result of something like uh, organic. Could be environmental trauma if it were to persist, but mm-hmm. we saw in the movie she kind of clean things up pretty quickly. <laughs> she did. She did. And, you know, Hei kind of symbolized a part of her village that, you know, always is with her because it's something that just exists in her village that is very specific to her village and that makes her think of home all the time. Even though she has Pua with her, even though she has the memories and, you know, her grandma with her all the time, Hei was a physical representation of that and he just mm-hmm. always showed up. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, that being a part of home is mm-hmm. something that a pet gives yeah. to us wherever yes. we are. If you move with your pet, whether it's city to city, state to state, it's a little piece of home that, you know, you always familiarize yourself with. Even in the way that you're sharing that, when I work with clients who have like pet grief and loss, one of the things that I highlight is we tend to get pets at pivotal moments of our life. Like when we have first stepped out into the world on our own, when we are first living on our own, or when we get children or preparing to start a family or Mm -hmm. as a couple trying to see if we could, we, that's usually when we get a pet. So they marker like milestones, very specific Mm -hmm. moments of our lives. And that, and that was, Hey, Hey, like he, he ventured out with her in a moment 
moment where um, uh, she just had a lot of uncertainty. And when it comes to the the grief and loss of a pet, usually that's marking like if we've lived with them for a substantial amount of time, mm-hmm. that's marking an end of like that milestone and having to both realize that uh, and grieve not only those changes and losses, but now have to um, grieve the act, the, the active representation of that, which is our pet. Yeah. And to move on with your life without that is a huge transition for people who get pets at pivotal moments, like you said. Pets witness us at our most vulnerable. We stand butt naked in front of them. They're kind of just there all the time. <laughs> and that was Hey Hey, right? Yeah. They're all the time. <laughs> Even though you really didn't want him to be here, it was kind of a nuisance. He was just there with his googly eyes. <laughs> Great. I love that. I didn't think we were going to have that conversation with Hey Hey, but you know what? He took us there. <laughs> he took us there. Um, wonderful. So that is Hey Hey. Our next furry well actually this one's not even really furry because it doesn't have hair is pascal from tangled (gasps) our wonderful chameleon so lovable so cute um rapunzel's right hand man i must i'm i think pascal pascal is a male name so i'm i I think he's a boy yeah i I think i I think she uses he he him with him yeah yeah so pascal is very loyal to her he is her only friend when she's imprisoned in the tower Mm -hmm. never leaves her side Mm -hmm. so we know that there's a lot of emotional bonding there because they're the only Mm -hmm. two in the tower um he is her fierce protector he is kind of like kind of like a sibling almost um that you know really is rooting for her and once flynn rider comes up he has his side eye because he's also a character that doesn't talk yes yes i i do know that pascal grabs things for her like her um paint brushes i do believe he's been trained essentially either be actively she taught him or just from the general relationship of interaction and given that she is in severe solitude and finds out later that she's kidnapped um I could say that there may be some uh, diagnoses that could occur. Given that he goes out with her into the world, it's hard to tell if she trusts Finn Ryder more because she has Pascal or like mm. the like her own naivety or just willingness um, or her spirit, right, to just explore on the world. And we do see her oscillate in a lot of pain for like a, leaving her mom, right? Like that was a mm-hmm. big thing was this yeah. their attachment together. It was her to be individualized to her to sort of like they were very what uh is in bowen called enmeshed um so uh again because she was locked away i think he could lean towards psychiatric service animal i i think there's a possibility i definitely believe that yeah i think that that's huge just because rapunzel is going through so many extreme measures in her daily life and when we see rapunzel she's coming out of that and she's having a lot of realizations she's at a pivotal moment in her life so she is not only going through her process of discovering womanhood but she is also discovering that everything that she knew was basically not exactly what she thought it was and um, pascal is her constant throughout all of this and and like you mentioned, o- the only socialization she had besides her mother, so uh, already he plays an integral psychological role in mm-hmm. that um, she she creates dialogue with him, uh, but very different than when Kristoff's um, using Sven like essentially for emotional support because mm-hmm. he's he's kind of leaning on him like during times of struggle for her like. Pascal is constantly with her. She's constantly engaging with him. Mm-hmm. And she's having 
essentially direct relationship and dialogue with him and and plans her day with him like Mm -hmm. i i feel like he's so integral to what her lived experience was before she left the tower that Mm -hmm. there couldn't be i couldn't imagine him not being a psychiatric service animal exactly and i think the choice for him to be a chameleon was so smart Mm -hmm. because he is basically her window to the outside world he could be whatever she wanted him to be and he has the ability to do that because she didn't have that perspective to the outside world aside from her interactions with him and you know i think if it was any other animal i don't think it would have had the same effect Mm -hmm. um because what she was going through was really really extreme and i think also shows you where some of the advancement for disability laws for service animals Mm -hmm. needs to take place like i said here in the u.s it's the service animal federally is a dog Mm -hmm. um and uh that tower was not gonna fit a dog i don't think (laughs) uh, there's no way that mother gothel would allow her to have a dog she had to be able to hide Mm -hmm. him right and he could uh, camouflage whenever he needed to hide in her hair really Mm -hmm. because her Mm -hmm. hair could hide anything maybe her hair could have hit an emotional service (laughs) (laughs) now that i think about it i mean she's swinging from tower to tower she can hide a dog but anyway (laughs) that's beside the point uh but yeah uh i think that if there had been more if if we have been embracing more animals in regards to like those Mm -hmm. laws uh that we would find a lot more people getting assistance in ways that that we hadn't considered and for for me when it comes to emotional support animals because the law doesn't say that it has to be specifically a dog Mm -hmm. i have assessed um cats dogs and some lizards Uh, i don't know much about bird and animal interaction i've never received training for that so that's why i i always refer out but with um particularly when it comes to like bearded dragons seem to be the the thing yeah Um, yeah a lot of popularity around bearded dragons as emotional support animals. The reason they be, they end up being the choice oftentimes has to do with the individual has severe allergies. So it's like, oh. I don't have the option of a dog or a cat. Uh, yeah. And I also need what an emotional support animal can provide to mitigate you know, my mental health disability. The bearded dragon ends up doing it. Interesting. Yeah. They're cute, though. They are. Love, love me a bearded dragon. <laughs> um, I do want to shout out... Um, Flynn Rider's horse, Maximus. Yeah. He plays... Well, a, stolen horse. Stolen or, horse. Or rehomed. He rehomed That's what, He was rehomed. <laughs> because I think that he creates a counterpart to um, Rapunzel's relationship with Pascal. And I think um, because we see Flynn Rider have his own kind of character arc and his growth in the story as well, because he learns a lot of things about himself, I think it was really beautiful for both of them to go through those changes with their animal companions. And essentially him being challenged by, like, this authority figure of a horse uh, <laughs> and, and, and creating, essentially, respect towards it. Whereas, like, all previous versions of him had no respect for, like, authority. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And this was more of, like, a mutual relationship, almost, because the horse was kind of forced into it, but then also was just kind of like, all right, this guy's kind of pathetic, so let me help him out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel pity. <laughs> I feel pity. <laughs> all right, awesome. So... The next character that we're going to talk about is a speaking character, and he has a very great role in this iconic movie. And we are going to be talking about Zazu from The Lion King. Ah! So we are kind of pivoting now, and we were talking about a animal companion to a villain. So as you all know, Zazu in the original Lion King, the animated version, he is the royal advisor to, well, 
he is Mufasa's advisor, but then he has to kind of pivot because when Mufasa passes away, he has to now serve under Scar. So he kind of plays a dual role. Um, and we can all say that he is a working animal because he yes. is an advisor. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think even more so when he was Scar's advisor, he was even more of a working animal because he was he he didn't even get to give advice it was like sing for me right mm -hmm. <laughs> do mm -hmm. do this task and that's all that we don't have a relationship when it came to mufasa he had a relationship with mufasa they they had dialogue together um and this is where it's like it starts to get murky right because they can actually have a conversation and you're not yeah. having a conversation <laughs> with your pets but uh if we were thinking of mufasa if mufasa was a human and zazu was still a bird um one of the things that I, I would notice of their interaction is that he is considering the needs of Zazu, which starts to feel more like a pet. Mm -hmm. And we do consider the needs of working animals. We do, you know, um, a good ethical <laughs> farms are going to give them the medicine they need, proper food, uh, enrichment and nourishment. Um, however, at the end of the day, they're still a working animal. Whereas uh, in this case, Zazu seemed integrated with the community. So it, uh, with the family, felt more pet-like. Yeah, definitely pet-like, but also... Um a pet that could snitch on you because he was kind of a killjoy all the time, especially True. through Simba's eyes. Simba and Nala were like, Zazu, get the heck away from us. We are just trying to live our lives. We're trying to be kids. And he was like the uncle, the babysitter, mm -hmm. who was just like, you know, don't do that. You can't go over there. Um, but he meant well. We know that he has good intentions for the kingdom, good intentions for Mufasa's family because he is so loyal. And um, not only is he a servant, but he is, you know, trusted within their community and because he's so loyal even though he was a working animal then later assigned we could say like to scar um the second that simba came back he allied with simba like yeah. he allied with his original essentially what you'd say family or owners mm -hmm. and we we do see that right when when pets get rehomed mm -hmm. um or when working animals get moved to a different farm they tend to remember their original family and have mm -hmm. like uh, a bond with them yeah. Or even if they're lost and they get reunited or if they deploy and Yo, they come oh back. God, deploy the worst. <laughs> you have that story. We'll I have say that, that story. <laughs> yeah. They they remember. <laughs> they remember and they show it in every single way humanly or animally or possible. Yeah. Emotionally. <laughs> emotionally. Yeah. Um, and we see that through Zazu because he immediately is like, you know what? screw all that i'm just gonna go back to you know my original pride even though he is not a lion himself um he has loyalty to um the pride that uh mufasa created and and remember we said that pets uh first and foremost have companionship mm -hmm. and there's companionship there right yeah. when you're thinking of family bonding like yeah mm -hmm. that's it yeah exactly so yeah zazu man um voiced by rowan atkinson which i was like Mr. Bean what? <laughs> what? Uh, when I was a kid because you know Mr. Bean he was he was pretty popular back then and having him having that speaking role um I think really brought his character to life and he did such a wonderful job of um just playing that kind of snitch <laughs> yes yes <laughs> that snitch but also you know you really felt for him when he was under Scar's control because you you didn't want him to perish and then in the live action, it's a it's John Oliver, right? Yes, it's John yeah. Oliver. Yeah, and I think he did. I mean, it's John Such Oliver. Such a great job. Yeah, John Oliver. 
could have been just a reincarnation of Zazu himself. Um, so smart. So as a matter of fact, very British. Also sassy. <laughs> Super sassy. Um, and yeah, we we heard that sass vocalized instead of just, you know, like a side eye or their actions. It was all of that. So um, yeah, great character. Okay, fantastic. So the next one is we're going to reach a little bit because this is a much, much older movie. Um, Gus and Jacques from ah, Cinderella. Gus, Gus. Yes, <laughs> Gus, Gus and Jacques um, are wonderful sidekicks, little mice that help Cinderella. They're faithful mouse companions to her and they love her. They mm-hmm. truly just mm-hmm. love her. Mm-hmm. They live with her. Um, they see her struggles. Um, they're devoted to helping her, sneaking her all the things that she needs in order for her to escape her situation. And she does go through um, severe amounts of trauma. She lo- she's uh, she loses a mom. She loses a dad. Gains a wicked stepmother and wicked sisters. Right. Um, becomes essentially. A, I'm not even going to use the term like indentured servant. Like she's abused into essentially slavery in her own home. Uh, has no access to any of her own wealth, her own family property, her name. They they essentially try to erase her from the the from existence, except to just be. Um, I, I I would say made, but she's not getting paid. Um, yeah, and so lots of severe trauma. What we do know is she uh, herself relies personally on kindness, something mm-hmm. that was instilled to her by her um, uh, bio parents and uh, something that she's able to hold on true. But given the amount of trauma that she's experienced in the lack of uh, socialization, the outside world, she definitely needed to socialize herself with the animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a variety of animals in that movie, but the mice specifically did her bidding. Like yes. Gus and Jacques would do what she told them to. They would t- retrieve things. And so I, I definitely consider them a service animal or psychiatric service animal that uh, had like function that they were mm-hmm. aware of and their direct relationship to her. Like they, they enjoyed sort of like their own life, but for mm-hmm. the most part... They were keeping an eye on her. Yeah, they were keeping an eye on her. They were watching out for her. They were the ones who got the key to the room um, because Lady Tremaine locked her in there so that she couldn't try on the glass zipper. If none of that happened, if they didn't do that action, there would be no story. So, I mean, I think definitely you're spot on with that categorization because they're they're really the heroes in this story they save her it wasn't prince Charming. it was them it was them and i think they work with um the other animals yes. well they work with the birds <laughs> okay she gets bruno up there to scare away lucifer the cat and even though like they are essentially uh on the chopping block of uh yeah. like hierarchy when it comes to inter- engaging with the cat they did what they were told and when mm-hmm. it comes to service animals and psychiatric service animals we obviously want to take care in the situations we put them in but some situations could be just naturally scary to them that they mm-hmm. ignore that fear because they want to service their handler so yeah. like um uh, common examples would be like Uh, noises at a construction site can be very Mm -hmm. scary and loud to a dog. Um, But if they have to help guide uh, their handler, they will do it. They will, they will, they will desensitize themselves. And Mm -hmm. 
And those mice knew they needed to be afraid of the cat. They still tried they still did their it. best. And that cat was big. It was pissy. It mm-hmm. just did not want named to do after anything the with devil. anyone. <laughs> named after, literally named after the devil. <laughs> and interesting enough, Jock, Jock and Gus Gus don't speak English. They speak kind of a broken version of it. So they're kind of like they say Cinder. They say Cinderella. They don't really say her name. So they they're not totally humanized, but they're not totally fully animal they yeah, were they shirts <laughs> they were clothes <laughs> they were shirts yeah. they, um, they make me think of pokemon guys guys <laughs> yeah 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 truly um but it's funny because pokemon don't even wear clothes like that it's just pikachu that does <laughs> yeah unless you're playing pokemon go and it's an event yes 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 anyway oh. we digress um but jock and gus gus are super lovable i think they are unsung heroes i mean they are mice so we know that they are the underdogs we know that they are the ones that you know we're rooting for um without them cinderella would not be saved she would still be in her crappy situation so shout out to those two We've gone through a lot of different animals, and I think it is fitting that we end. Ooh, I want to end with a couple, just because we didn't hit these pretty big ones. Um, Little Mermaid just came out. We all know, and we have a lot of really great friends when it comes to the Little Mermaid. Um, so we can kind of do a mashup of two because we can talk about Flounder and we can talk about Sebastian because they are two very important um, characters and friends to Ariel that help her in different ways. Um, We did talk about Zazu and when I think about Zazu, I think about how Sebastian plays a very similar role because they are both advisors to their king. So I definitely think that um, with the live action and the animated um, Flounder and Flounder was more of essentially a a companion, so a pet, Uh, Mm -hmm. and, you know, knew, I would say, tasks or tricks, like could grab things, Mm -hmm. Um, but but, uh, he had a relationship with Ariel. I think the second that she lost her fins, she gained a physical disability. Yes. Um, Like, we're thinking, like, gaining legs would not be, but Mm -hmm. remember, she is not human. She is not, she's not meant to have those legs. She literally essentially removed an entire appendage of her body yes and is having to now completely relearn how her body is functioning without that appendage and she lost her voice she lost her voice (laughs) uh so she also cannot communicate so she has two forms of essentially what would be a physical disability um and I think after that, because of her deep relationship with Flounder, he turned into somewhat of a service animal. However, because of his limitations of being Mm -hmm. in the the water, water. it then transitioned to Sebastian, who was not her pet um, and uh, instead was maybe I would say like if we're going to say companion or pet or dad's pet that he like then rehomed to her who learned to be a service animal. Because what we saw was he helped, uh, we saw them uh, helping her swim up, right? Both of them are under each of her arms. He's like now having to translate things to her and communicate to her. Mm -hmm. Um, He uh, is running around the castle. Spoiler alert, in the live action, he doesn't get a kitchened he doesn't have the kitchen song yeah boo but anyway (laughs) but he is sleeping in the bed with her he is Mm -hmm. trying to help her achieve a very specific goal which is to create a connection with eric Mm -hmm. which we could say that he becomes her voice yeah right yeah 
he becomes the orchestrator, which mm-hmm. is in the animated movie as well, because he starts the song. He almost has them kiss. Um, so he is definitely working all throughout this movie because he is on task all the time. Um, he just wants to get the job done to protect her. Yeah. And I don't know how, either the live action or the animated, how Eric <laughs> somehow magically understands him. But yeah, he becomes her voice. He he literally is the one, because he's the one who speaks her name, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he like says it yes. behind like, but then i think well i think eric somehow manifests that as like a voice in his head yes he's not necessarily saying oh my god is that an animal talking to me he's just like oh maybe there's something because he's looking for intuition right he's looking for something that's going to give him a signal to find this girl um and he takes those signals which are actually sebastian he doesn't know that but he's thinking of it in his own way yeah i i think they they both become that uh and i will say again is something that can be common um, because some of the things that we want to remember is that anyone anyone and everyone uh, is susceptible to gaining a disability. That is why it's important to become an uh, advocate for the disabled because you could be part of that community. It, it unfortunately could just be one accident away. Um, and, and so in this case, uh, with her having someone speak for her, that like essentially her interpreter as as well as could be that mm-hmm. was such a beautiful task and functional aid that uh, was necessary and yeah. crucial yeah it was crucial to the whole thing it's crucial to the story to her development to her survival mm-hmm. um and with without that i think you know we we don't necessarily think ariel and sebastian <laughs> we think ariel and flounder and you know i feel like this perspective might have changed me to think you know Sebastian did hold down for Ariel, even though he truly did not want to. It was just a nuisance for him the whole entire time. Yeah, and he had the the ability to go on land and in water. Another smart choice. Yeah, because Flounder had those limitations. Yeah, and and again, sometimes with a service animal, we realize like we need a very specific mm-hmm. thing that one can't provide over the other. That's why I mentioned earlier miniature horses for balancing. Um, and they are they're just stocky and sturdier. Uh, there's no way that uh. I don't care how big of a dog you have, that if you have uh, a difficulty with balance, um, uh, that a dog's not really going to provide that in the way that a horse can. (laughs) (laughs) Got four sturdy legs. Well, we went through a lot of different animals and a lot of really beloved animals and characters. Um, We do want to leave off. I don't want to forget our magical character, Mushu. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Because he is not really a real animal, but he's also not seen by everyone. So I feel like he's a definite anomaly um, to a lot of sidekicks. I think he is open to interpretation. Yeah, so I don't know if you could call him a pet. Yeah, he might be a working animal. He was assigned. I mean, his official label is Guardian. Yeah. Okay. So he is a deity. He is a guardian, um, even though he he is a dragon, but also guys, dragons aren't real. <laughs> um, so he is definitely a sidekick. I feel like it's 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 good to note him. He's an honorable mention in our list um, because he's he's there for Mulan. He talks to the ancestors. He's there to protect her um, no matter where she is. But he also has a physical um, ability to help her out whenever she needs to uh, watches out for her when she's taking a swim or you know taking a bath and um lights fireworks like not every animal can do that yeah i 
I think if I were to con- categorize him more as a pet, I may categorize him as emotional support animal when Mulan, because because essentially Mulan was committing a crime. But if we moved remove that component, mm-hmm. she was uh, engaging in uh, you know uh, gender fluidity of mm-hmm. gender expression. Um, and, you know, dressing like a man, uh, if we were to even say that she was someone who was queer, wanted to be more fluid in her presentation, he then might be an emotional support animal, not because that is a disability, but because mm-hmm. of the way the outside world treats individuals who are gender fluid and that she got support from him. Like he was cooking her food and he was yeah. fighting others for her, but also he was... At first, he was a little bit against it, but he was actively supporting her in a time when she could have had a lot of mental, emotional struggle. Mm-hmm. So, and maybe. that was that was only her her only connection to you know keeping her from just giving up, um, because he was there rooting her on, and he was there being the voice of reason and saying, you know, hey, let's take a step back and think about why you're actually doing this. But he also had an agenda of his own because he wanted to be a you know. <laughs> A full deity himself. So there's a lot of layers to Mushu. I think that warrants a whole episode in itself. <laughs> and I think even you highlighting that, like when I work with clients who are trans and transitioning, uh, their emotional support animals are oftentimes the the direct reason why they can complete a transition. And it's yeah. because if I'm happier, my pet's happier. Yes. If I'm happier, um, we have a better relationship. And mm-hmm. because we have a better relationship, I no longer feel the symptoms of uh, uh, potentially depression or anxiety mm-hmm. that have been put on me by the environment. So in that case, I would say that because he was a direct motivator for her, he he could have been an emotional support animal. Like we're leaning towards there. I mean, he was my emotional support animal and Mulan was going through all of that stuff when I was watching the movie. So without him and his comical relief and also his just undying loyalty to her, um, I think she wouldn't have gone through what she had gone through and survived and saved all of China. <laughs> Personally, um, I gained a pet when I needed it the most emotionally. When my husband deployed um, overseas for a whole year, um, I was living by myself in the apartment and um, we lost our dog that we had raised a couple years before that. And so I felt that it was time for me to find a dog or for a dog to find me. So I adopted uh, my Pitbull Mixed Chance um, at one of the really big best friends animal adoption events here in Los Angeles. Shout out to them. Um, He was fully trained. Um, He was about three years old when I adopted him and um, he was a really great companion for me when I was living alone in the apartment because he gave me a sense of purpose and routine when, you know, I didn't really have those things not having my partner living with me um, other than going to work. Um, it it gave me something to look forward to. Like I walked them in the morning, I walked them at night. Um, we shared a lot of just outings together with friends. Um, and, you know, he he's still with us to this day now that I have two kids. He's, you know, my kid's protector. And um, yeah, the different times that my husband left to deploy or went on training every single time he comes back my dog goes insane like he jumps around like claws (laughs) whoever he's pushing down he's about 75 pounds so he is not a very small dog um so when he shows his emotions he shows them in a big big way um and that kind of goes back to what we were saying that you know all of these animals they they do recognize people they do establish those relationships they 
do have that loyalty. All of these things that, you know, we see in stories happen in real life. Um, and so, you know, having Chance as a part of the family in a time where I was lonely and I needed some companionship really carried throughout the different phases in our life. And now that we don't, ex- you know, we don't experience that in the extreme that we did before, because now I have kids, um, he plays a different purpose now. And, you know, as he's getting older, as my kids are getting older, they're forming that bond and they're um establishing that mutual relationship of emotional need of security of um just a sense of community within you know they're all siblings now (laughs) which is really great to see um and you know um, ariel has seen firsthand the the benefits of me adopting chance at the pivotal time that i needed him yes and um Uh, When Steph was interested in trying to see if he could qualify as an emotional support animal, I gave her referrals to Mm -hmm. be able to get the evaluation. Um, And uh, what what some people aren't aware of is emotional support animals have to be reevaluated every year. Uh, And there is a certain point where once um, AJ returned and then you started to grow your family, he became just a pet at that Mm -hmm. point. There was no need to do the assessment. There was no need to do documentation. Uh, And um, I think... uh, that's that's also just crucial to let people know is that sometimes they think that their certification from a mental health provider is like forever and yeah, it, it, it lasts <laughs> for a year. Um, and that's because disabilities also change, right? Mm-hmm. When we have more accesses, um, when we start to uh, depending on on what we're experiencing, like in a mental health related experience, maybe we're doing more healing. Maybe we've now uh, switched to different type of treatment. Instead of mm-hmm. emotional support animal, we've added medication. Now yeah. we're able to do things more that um, we don't rely on our emotional support animal for. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I asked for a diagnosis is because of my living situation at the time, too. I was living in an apartment complex that didn't necessarily welcome dogs unless they were serving a purpose. So since then, my living situation has changed. I don't have to you know, report that to anybody. So even though it kind of worked out in my favor, um, it it was just it's good to know that, you know, you have to kind of abide by the cycles and the the ways that we all grow as well um, in relationship to our animals, whether they're working or whether they're not. So if you have uh, any sidekicks that you think we should have talked about, um, or if you disagree with any of our decisions, please, <laughs> please uh, tweet at us at happiestpodgt or send us a DM on Instagram, happiestpodgt. If you have a, a service animal or emotional support animal or even a pet that you want to share and show, uh, go ahead and send that too. We want all the animal photos. Yes, all the animal photos, always and forever. <laughs> all right, it was great great talking about um our animal sidekicks and you know what i'm gonna go hug my dog now yay (laughs) yay all right see you next time everyone bye